Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They're incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made are like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, trymiracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. Fake the Nation, episode 179. All right, here we go. Oh, my God. There's like a fucking smush on my... I mean, I can't concentrate. It would have distracted me. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to, like, ruin the show for you guys. I appreciate that. The Um, listeners also would have heard it. (laughs) It comes out. You know, it's true. It comes out. You could hear that her glasses were smudged. (laughs) Hearing your voice. Um, All right, here we go, you guys. Two, one. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we shove all of our possible productivity into these last few days before everybody leaves for Christmas, as if the work will vanish. But you guys, the work never vanishes. It's like still there in 2020. That's the the terrible news. Uh, And I am your host, Nikki Farsad, and I'm taking a stand 
against trying to get everything done before you leave. Just don't get it done. What? So what? Tell your boss that. Just be like, I'm not getting it done. I'm sure that'll go over really yeah, well. This host of this podcast told me I didn't have to do my work. <laughs> uh, oh, I also want to point out to audiences because I believe there are Democratic debates this week. Am I wrong? Am I right? Um, Anita may uh, (laughs) do some brilliant Googling. Um, But I think uh, that we people may hope that we will be talking about those, but we're recording on Monday, so that's not happening. But we're talking about some really amazing things in its stead. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the Afghanistan papers, which feel like bombshelly bombshells. Uh, we're also going to be talking about um, the call for civility. Should there be a call for civility? And finally, Finland, what's the deal with them? <laughs> <laughs> Just writ large. Um, I'm so excited by the panel this week. You guys, returning to the show, both of them, we have comedian extraordinaire. Um, I've seen him live many times, and I just fucking love watching him live. It's really, truly wonderful. If you can do it, you should absolutely do it. He performs all over New York City and all over the country. Uh, you've seen him on Showtime. You've seen him on, on HBO. Um, he has a podcast called I'll Leave You With This, which you should absolutely subscribe to. You guys. Guys, it's Dustin Chapin. Yay. <laughs> Extraordinaire. I love that. <laughs> um, we also uh, have um, from the Earwolf family. I guess the Stitcher family doesn't Stitcher, matter. Yeah. Their sister companies are the same company, whatever. Right. Um, we like sit on uh, desks that are right next to each other. Yeah, essentially, except for I don't sit at a desk here. Right. But, you, that, you but I sit at a, like a metaphysical desk. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Um, uh, he is the host of the podcast Sporkful. You have heard an episode of the Sporkful in our very feed that we thought um, Fake the Nation listeners would really enjoy. Uh, there's one out right now about the use of the word plantation uh, in in food branding um, that's real super interesting and right up the Fake the Nation alley. So you should, if you haven't already, but I think you probably already have, subscribe to the Sporkful. You guys, it's Dan Pashman. Hey, guys. Um, okay. Let's uh, – just a quick question before we get into it. Or do you guys feel that buzz of like, get me the fuck out of here, it's Christmas already? Oh, yes. I, I, thought, I didn't realize that was going to be the second half of your question. I thought I was just going <laughs> to – I thought you were talking about, like, America. Um, <laughs> um, yes, like, like I can tell you that, like, out on – I live now in the suburbs of Long Island, and I can tell you that the tensions are running high. There are, like <laughs> m- – my wife witnessed a near fist fight in Target. One guy literally, quote – demanded that another guy step outside. Do you want to take this outside? Nice. There was going to be a fight you know in a, in a Long Island parking lot. I'm glad that's still happening. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and America still has it. It was kind of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Merry fucking Christmas, the yeah. thing that Trump says we're not allowed to say, and then he defiantly says it, except for we've been saying it the entire time. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into it with topic number one. Um, Okay, so the Afghanistan papers were dropped by the Washington Post. Um, They basically went through troves and troves of these sort of like exit interviews with with like really high military officials who talked very candidly about what has had been going on during their tenure in Afghanistan. So the war has been going on for 18 years. Um, 
But Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real world until yeah. it hits 25. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'll, the, 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 just the title of the article um, kind of says it all. It said that I just copied and pasted here and it ended up in like 25 point font or whatever. So it's uh, like it's really yelling at me. U.S. <laughs> officials constantly said they were making progress. They were not. And they knew it. That basically sums up the Afghanistan papers. Were you guys? What What did you make of them? Were you surprised to read this? I mean, I, well, this is a really long piece. I feel like it was as long as the war itself. The <laughs> 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 scrolling and scrolling. Yes. Like, really? Is this oh God, still I'm happening? So, I'm is this so still happening? I'm sorry to do this to you. I know it was so fucking long. I mean, it was amazing. No, it was so really good. Yeah. It was good. I mean, this this really brings everything down for me because I feel like. The Afghanistan thing was the one thing that we felt okay about, I feel, in the beginning of this whole thing because it's so attached to 9-11. I feel like as a New York, living in New York for so long, mm-hmm. I feel like we were okay with it. Like it was whatever's happening there was justified in, mm-hmm. you know, in that kind of New York heart thing. And then now it's just like, oh, here we go. Now it's like nothing's, you know. At what point did it go from this is justified to like what's going on? Or like has the PR been so effective? Because at no point... Has anyone ever been like, this is an unmitigated disaster, right? The PR has never been Well, that's what Iraq was. So it's like it it was drawing away from, you know, Afghanistan because everything's like, oh, this is the shitty war and this one's okay. Well, because I I think that the justification for the Iraq war was always more tenuous. And like you say, Dustin, that's part of it. Like, like, I think people realized much sooner that the justification for the Iraq war was bullshit. And so they turned on that. That became the sort of like the boondoggle. Yeah, um, and word. whereas the justification for Afghanistan uh, felt a little more plausible, and so people yeah. right. were, were felt, you know, I guess I think had more patience for it in the public consciousness. Yeah. Um, the uh. Sorry. Um, and also, just one thing, yeah, and also please. the gangbuster of patriotism, you know, seemed to be like, is every time, you know, thank you for your service, it seemed to kind of go towards the Afghanistan, you know, war. Like, it was all about those troops. For right. some It just, you right. know, so the whole country just bought all their American flag, you know, sweatsuits and, you know, I think, like, if you could, if we could transport ourselves to, to, to 2001 mm-hmm. and the reaction that, that the country not had to such a terrible tragedy. It seems like rallying around any kind of military action in Afghanistan was completely reasonable, right? Absolutely. Like that everyone was going to do that. We lost 3,000 souls. Um, and uh, that's what you do. Um, do you think there would have been any kind of tolerance for a, for less swift action than what we took? Because if there had been maybe more of an international coalition, maybe more more of a plan, um, this could have turned out differently. But it certainly wouldn't have been fireworks immediately the way I think the American you know, uh, psyche demanded. Well, I think that's part of the problem with the part of the sort of the marketing problem with the war on terror. I don't know that it has anything to do with immediate, but it has a lot to do with fireworks. Yeah. You know, people wanted revenge and they want to be able to see the revenge, yeah. you know, and, and the, the, 
the most the effective way to fight the war on terror is is because is suddenly we don't see it's not something you don't see bombs dropping on cities yeah. it's something that, that that happens in covert because it's not all in one country the war on terror knows no borders and so it, it it's yes it's international coalitions but it's working in basically every city in every place all over the world in very covert ways in ways that don't get any attention and that's not sexy and politicians can't sell that and people can't get their revenge fix yeah and bush off of that. yeah and bush needed this war like it, it saved him. He was our savior. He was our protector, our, our daddy. Yeah, but it, like it was he so was interesting because like, he didn't. He was so early in his administration. Yeah, but he was the popular vote losing president. Um, yeah, but this this you know elevated him for sure. Right, just yeah. presiding over all of nine. Same thing he did with Giuliani. Exactly. Like, it's same thing. Um, and and what was really shocking to me, I guess. It's not even that 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 they spun things to make it seem like it was going well on the news. They literally altered data, which is what the the records show. Mm. And I found that shocking. I mean, uh, did I find that shocking after <laughs> right. we also yeah. went to Iraq over altered like yeah. fake data? Um. Anyway, I guess I, it wasn't shocking. But like, I guess my question is like. If you're if you're running a war um, <laughs> like you guys normally do, right, right, which we three podcasters yeah. know all yeah. about. It's like it's like running a comedy show. You gotta get a, you gotta get a Barker. Yeah, you gotta totally. get two drink minimum. Yeah. yeah, totally the same, the same. If you're running a war, like what? I mean, how much? transparency can there actually be with like the news right i mean i i, I yes there needs to be some you need to be able to keep secrets i mean i mean you asked are, were we surprised nagin and mm-hmm. i would say like i i'm big picture no i'm not surprised that there was a lot of cover up i am surprised to read just how extreme the disparity between reality and what we were told was yeah. just how insidious and widespread it was across and and right through the obama administration we should say. Hmm. Yep. Um, the, well, the, he had a troops. I mean, you guys remember, I don't remember what year it was, maybe 2010 or something. There were 12. There was a troop surge, a 30,000 troop surge. Right. Um, and that was supposed to fix it. And it was, it, you know, it was sunsetted at like a year and a half or something. And then that, but, but which is what the Taliban did was like, okay, cool, they're going to troop search. We're going to wait it out because we know they're going to leave. And now there's only 13,000 troops on the ground. Yeah, and that's and what is the fix? Because I feel like, you know, the, the longer they're there, the stronger that fight is for them, you know, for the adversary. Because it's like, it, you know, if you pull out, maybe I feel like it might, some peace might happen. But I feel the more you're attacking, you know, that's when they raise, you know, new... Uh, just a new allegiance of people that want to, you know, come at us. I feel like if, you know, it just, it just makes them stronger, is all I'm saying. It's just, it just fuels it and fuels it. Right. The longer we're there, that's all it does. Um, I think the thing that has struck me about all of our armed conflicts is um, a lack of nation-building plans. Like, for some reason, we managed to have a Marshall Plan in the wake of World War II. It was successful. Nations were able to rebuild. And then we were like, let us never do that again. You know what I mean? Um, I think there's... First of all, I think negotiating with the Taliban that was clearly in control and still is clearly in control was... um, out of the question for the for the Bush administration, and then 
so but but to, to my mind what you send in is like a bunch of engineers mm-hmm. who are like listen you guys have a sewage issue you have some electrical grid issues you have yeah. some sc- you know you send in a bunch of yeah. public health people yeah fighting in the mountains you, is very difficult like, <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> right it, and and it's not worth it no, right it's not. so what is worth it is build helping build society and 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 you know and in a way that would have maybe I like I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. This is pure amusing. What right, you know what I'm saying? No, it's, but in a yeah. way that is like maybe we have to um, negotiate with the Taliban. But if our aim is to really help people and not create more terrorists. Yeah. The way you do that is by increasing living standards and making people happier. Right, but if there's one thing that comes out of all these papers that was very clear is that they didn't know what the aim was. Right, and that, right, 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 right. Different groups got called in at different times and were given different orders in terms, not just specific orders, but like what is the goal? What are we trying to do? Are we are we trying to trying to get rid of the Taliban because they support terrorists? Are we trying to build a democracy? Are we trying, you know, so? If you just go in and fix sewage and build bridges, sure, that that's nice. But, you know, uh, uh, there are a lot of dictatorships that function very well by just sort of like focusing on quality of life yeah. issues. And they keep most of the people, uh, you know, happy enough because it's like the old cliche of like, you know, the, the, guy, the mayor in Chicago who yeah. lost because the streets weren't plowed. You know, right. so so like if we go in and build bridges for the Taliban, that doesn't necessarily get them out of power. And the Taliban are going right. to be it, oppressive. They're going to support terrorists. And so, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily like I, I, I'm very skeptical of the entire idea of nation building. You know, like yeah. right. I, I almost feel like especially okay. anywhere in, in the Middle East, which is, you know, a, a, an entire region that has like has a long history and is very culturally different from us. You know, like yeah. um I say us. I'm the Jewish guy, and you're Iranian. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> yeah. you know those people. Dustin yeah. is Native American right. roots. We're all doing. So it. There you, go. you know, yeah. we know. Yeah. Right, but like, you know, I I just feel like uh, over and over and over again. And this is that we were told during the dur- during the conflict, and now in these papers that like we don't un- we don't. Like, if I was Afghanistan, I'd be like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck are you to come in here and tell me how to live and how to run my country? You don't know me. You don't know this country. You don't know our culture. Yeah. So, you know, and and clearly a lot of the Americans were coming back saying, yeah, they keep saying to us, who the fuck are you? You know, Which is why I think like a UN, like to me, nation building is, is, and maybe that's not even the right word, but it's like humanitarian assistance that is takes the form of like literally infrastructure development is the is the realm of the United Nations. You know, there should that's we should go in and help impoverished countries that can't figure that out. I do believe there's like a a good in that. I do feel we are trying. I feel I've spent, you know, I've done some USO work and Iraq and stuff. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of these guys in the military and, you know, a lot of times, you know, these crazy things will happen. You know, sometimes they try to build up the military within, you know, these regions. And some of these guys have never held a gun before. And a lot of, a lot of times, you know, they'll give them a gun and try to teach them and then they end up just kind of shooting everybody around them. And like all these mishaps happen and, or they'll fund us, you know, a business for someone, maybe somebody open up a shoe shop for somebody. And then the Taliban will bomb that 
you know, business because right. it was affiliated with the Americans. And, right. you know, so they are trying. They're trying to do stuff like that. There was yeah. a $1,000 program that they were doing. They were giving, you know, business owners $1,000 to try to build up their right. communities. But then, you know, things do backfire like that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. you know what I'm thinking on that? So this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I'll bring it around. Mm. So my brother uh, went through, was a, a legal historian, and he wrote, he did his... Oh, okay. You know, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm dropping this one. <laughs> no, but he, so he, he wrote this book. It's really interesting about the Revolutionary War, and a lot of it is basically about how, you know, like, I, when the revolution started, then there was no function in government in the colonies, and yet it did not descend into the French Revolution. Like, people weren't getting, you know, yeah. guillotined in the streets. Why not? How was law and order maintained? Well, it turns out law and order is maintained through a system of like vigilante justice in which, you know, the colonists would basically like be like, are you on our side or are you on the British side? If you're on our side, then we're going to if you're on, if you're supporting the British, we're going to take all your cows and kick you out of town. And we're going to take these cows and give them to someone who's supporting us. And they basically were, were like vigilantes who enforced the, the support. But most of the people were not revolutionaries. Most of the regular people were stuck in the middle between the British and the revolutionaries. And they were like, we don't know who to support. We just kind of want to be able to like have a decent life. Yeah. And that's most people in most places. Most people yeah. aren't going to fight the revolution. And they, so if I was living in Afghanistan and I was just like, you know, Dan, a guy in Afghanistan, and I had a choice, like, do I stay loyal to the Taliban, who I know aren't going anywhere? Right. Or do I join forces with the Americans, who I know are itching to get out? But it could be a suicide yeah. letter. Right. Yeah. I would stick with the Taliban. Yep. You know, and, and, yeah. and hope that they leave my family alone. Right. I guess, um, no, ab absolutely. And I think the, the other interesting thing about Afghanistan, which we haven't, like, learned the lesson, is that, you know, Russia tried to be, tried to do this in the 80s, mm. right? And they failed. They failed miserably at, um, at at having any kind of um, successful regime change in Afghanistan. And then um, the British tried to do it before them, you know, in, in decades prior. So it's it, it there's, I think, something also particular about Afghanistan, the regionalism, the the layout, the fucking geography, the mountains, all of that stuff that makes this kind of out external you know, yeah. effort, like very difficult for Like the people. jungle of Vietnam. Like it's, yeah. it's just so windless. Like, okay, yeah. so this is, I want to end on this question, which is that like, can we just say <laughs> we have lost? Like, I don't remember, I wasn't around for how Vietnam ended or yeah, what the, like, what the field. <laughs> but like, but like what, like. We lost, right? Like it didn't work out. Um, oh yeah, it changed the country dramatically. I feel and like it, changed I think it was good in a way. And the, I hate to say good, I don't mean it like that, but I feel like a revolution started with rights and women's rights and people were heard and right. I feel like protest movement. Yeah, the music and... was better. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the weird thing, I mean, so we had the draft during Vietnam, so there was a lot more just p general public awareness of that war yeah. in a way that there is not about Afghanistan. It's just removed from our daily lives. We yeah. don't think about it. Um, could what 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 would it do politically if we were just like we have lost and that's it? And we're walking away. But, but I mean, because we can't do that, or because no leader wants to do that, uh, that's why Although these Trump wars go has on forever. Said that he kind of wants to do that. The interesting yeah. thing is, Trump could use these papers as justification, although he would never, from the lying Washington Post, or whatever the fuck he calls them. But like, he could use this as an excuse to be like, "I'm heading out." 
You know, this I'm going to be the one that ends this. And that could be a huge success for him. He'll probably do that. He'll be like, they failed. I'm going to fix it. Like, it's that's an easy one for him. Just say the past administration, they couldn't do it. Now I'll just pull out. I mean, I don't see it happening. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know. I, I, I guess it, one of the good things about him sort of being delusional is that he could spin it to being <laughs> a good thing and he would just hold on to that narrative. Right, right, See, right. Like, like what would happen with a normal president is that they would... <laughs> <laughs> right. What were those? Right. <laughs> remember, remember the days, back in the day. Right. The, is that if they pulled out the troops in a situation like this, they would, do, they would of course, any president from any party would spin it as like, this is a success. We're, we're, yeah. leaving, we're leaving triumphantly, mission accomplished. We're pulling out the troops. But then three or six months or a year later, when there's some big bombing or some big attack or something horrible happens, the opposing party in Washington is going to say, do you see what you did? Now the bad guys are winning again, and it's all because you surrendered. And then that narrative might take hold. And it's because they're afraid of that narrative that they don't do it. But but maybe Trump would be impervious to that narrative because he would never hear it. Yeah. Well, well, talking to some of the troops and things that they their whole, uh, you know, strategy is we're kind of like the bouncers of the Middle East. Like in case something is to happen, we kind of need to be there. That's how that's what they're justifying all the soldiers. That's what they're telling them. So it's you know, and that's their mentality It's like we're if we're not here then it just Gets goes, worse. yeah, it goes crazy. So uh, it's interesting because uh, just an, here's an example of like how crazy the lying is. Um, Army General Mark Milley um, said he disagreed that it the, the war is going well, but there are literally article. There is a there is a piece in the Washington Post Afghanistan papers that's t- t- an interview where he's like, no, it's going terribly. This is like a disaster, <laughs> and and it's so. It, even being caught in the lie is not changing their tune. Like today, Millie is saying, "No, no, no, it's going quite well." Yeah, um, well, Trump made that fashionable. You could just do that. Yeah, you could just do that. Yeah, doesn't matter. Do that. It's just I don't know why. I just kind of like thought the military was a less, um, like susceptible to that kind of lying. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. No, I mean, it's good you know, for d- them to have a war. They want it. I mean, I'm sure the comparison's been made, but Robert McNamara book, you know, he was the Secretary of Defense, I'm pretty sure, during yeah. Vietnam. And basically he just admitted, you know, he eventually after the war admitted that he was lying the whole time, that they were lying about the progress being made. I mean, this that's the first thing I thought of. Right, right, this article. Yeah, right. It's very Vietnam. Uh very Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> um All right, you guys. Uh, let me know what you think of these uh Afghanistan papers. I also want to point out that they dropped last week and we could have talked about them last week, but we were talking about some other things. And I actually don't even feel like they got that much attention. Ah, which is weird. Um, I mean, also articles of impeachment dropped too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Two big albums at the same time. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> oh, that old chestnut. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but I do hope people look at it. It's really stunning, and um, you know, and the amount of like material they went through is really, really impressive. And everyone should know. Everyone yeah. should know the reality and the truth about this war. All right, we are going to take a quick break and learn about our sponsors. And um, when we come back, we're going to talk about civility. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Ugh, folks. I mean, first of all, it's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel unwanted subscriptions, and it monitors your spending, and it helps you lower your bills. But that's Headline news, okay? What it has done for me, it has reminded me of the absolute ridiculous world of things that I have subscribed to 
And why have I subscribed to them? Why have I wasted my money in such a way? And thank God that Rocket Money has come around to show me that, hey, Nagin, you don't need a subscription to an obscure Brazilian film archive, do you? One of the things that I found for me once that was really upsetting was that I was paying for a subscription twice. It was an educational app. And you think an educational app isn't going to do you that way, but you know what? It might. It also lowered a bill for me. Lord, my cable bill. Yes, I still pay for cable. Don't worry about it. And then the other great thing is when you are trying to get rid of these subscriptions, you just do it with one tap. You don't have to like call customer service or whatever, all the other miserable things that you do when you're trying to get rid of a subscription. It just does it with one tap. That's one of the actually best things about it because I've had such a hard time in the past trying to unsubscribe from something myself. It lowers your bills for you by up to 20%. 5 million users. It has helped save an average of $720 a year, which makes sense for me because that's about as much as, that's about what I was saving. And with over $550 million in canceled subscriptions, that's what they've achieved. I mean, you've heard me talk about Rocket Money before. It has really improved my relationship with subscriptions. I'm going to just tell you that much. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Guys, cancel those unwanted subscriptions at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Today's show is sponsored by Factor. You guys, I totally was a factor person before they even sponsored this show because they're so delicious. And when you're constantly busy and just need a few nights of meals a week to just not have to cook, like factors incredible. And then for me, here's the other incredible thing is they have these delicious keto meals because I try not to eat carbs and they have these wonderful keto meals. And me and my husband have just been rejoicing in factor meals. So here's their deal. They're ready to eat. They're fresh. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved. They're also ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week. And like I said, I had like the keto stuff, but they also have calorie smart. They have protein plus. There's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Um, I had one of their little green juice shots that I really enjoyed. And oh my God, the, I just remember having this one meal. It was like grilled chicken situation with like a, I want to say like a creamed spinach situation. Oh, so delicious. I remember also having like a cauliflower mash situation. I mean, they really make the veggies taste delicious. This ain't your grandma's veggies. Mm -mm. They make them fun and delicious and not at all like, oh, I'm eating healthy. It's not like that. It's like, this is fun and delicious. There's no prep, no mess. Like I said, they're ready to heat and ready to eat. So you don't have to prep. You don't have to buy stuff, ingredients, and da 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 I mean, if also, if you're like me and you're just like not terribly confident in the kitchen, you're going to love Factor. All right. So here is what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com. All right. Head, head to factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 and use the code fakethenation50 to get 50% off. That's code fake the nation 50 at factormeals.com slash fake the nation 50 to get 
50% off. It is such a good deal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. Uh, and we're ready for topic number two. Okay. We're constantly lamenting the loss of civility right now, right? Never mind the 123 tweets that Trump wrote on Thursday. Like, that's an example of the loss of civility. But even just the moment that I always think of, I think about this moment like once a week, the moment where he was like holding an umbrella and he was like walking up the um, steps of Air Force One and then he just sort of drops the umbrella in some <laughs> assumption that the other person will be picking. Do you guys remember this? I was like, this is the moment where we lost civility. Like, it is completely lost. That's I mean, hilarious. the tweets are like one whole other thing, but yeah. this umbrella really says it all. In his defense, the other day, I was walking with an umbrella and I just dropped it and someone else caught it for me. <laughs> so yeah. it happens. Yeah, you always pick uh, up well, another umbrella. You learned it from the president. That's right, Dan. yes. Um, so we read a piece um, called Civility is Overrated by Adam Serwer in The Atlantic. Um, I guess my first question is, how big, how true is the claim that civility is lost? Like, and do you miss civility? Or is is this just like a thing we all say? I, I, I had very mixed feelings about this article. Mm. I, I think that... Um, Yes, civility is good. I think that if if you want to find <laughs> that was really controversial. Yeah, what you're all right, yeah. civility uh, is good. That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> <And> good <laughs> I mean, like if you want to find common ground with people who disagree with you, like it's it it helps. And this is true. Like anyone who's ever been in any kind of a relationship knows that when you're pissed off with someone and you go in screaming and telling them they're a bad person, you're not going to get very far. You know, whereas if you go in and like let's have a let's have a calm, rational discussion and remember the things we share in common, you're yeah. more likely to c- come to some agreement that is productive. So you need civility for that. That being said, the point that he makes in his article that resonated with me is that throughout American history, civility has often um, glossed over horrible compromises that have dis- you know, usually c- civility in, when it has when there has been civility in Washington, it's pretty much all white men. In rooms being civil with each other, oftentimes reaching shared understandings that fuck over everyone who's not a white man. Right. And so uh, and so his point is that's the problem with civility. To me, I think. And and can I just before yes. you keep, hold that thought and just to, to really paint that picture for the audience, the piece started out talking about how Joe Biden made that comment about right. Eastland, the senator who was a segregationist senator back in the day, and that he was like, even though. I like severely disagree with Eastland. We managed to like still get things done. We were civil Mm. Um, that basically that kind of civility gives cover and is enabling of the, you know, people like Eastland who were segregationist. Um, And and so that's, you know, the kind of main 
thrust of, right. of the... Yeah, like we were civil to the Native Americans in this country. Right. <laughs> right. Very and civil. Very, how, civ- yeah, very you know. civil. Yeah. Have you heard the Thanksgiving and... story, Dustin? Oh, they all sat down story. together. They were so... Story. Everyone was happy. It was nice. <laughs> so sorry, Dan, but uh, just I just wanted to give a little background. Right, no, there. that's good. No, right. So, so I, I mean, I agree with that. It's true that civility... That horrible people can be civil to each other, and there can still be horrendously oppressive outcomes. Um, that being said, I think that you need civility if things are to get done. And I also think that really the word civility in in the Serwer piece, he's kind of misusing it. Really, what he's upset about is not civility; he's upset about compromises. Mm-hmm. He, he's Ooh, interesting. And you know, there's an old saying in politics, and they probably use it in life and relationships too. You know, in a good compromise, no one's happy. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, like our government is structured to bring people with very disparate interests and opinions together, and they have to come to some kind of common ground, and that requires compromise. And um, there have been some fucked up compromises over the years. Um, but if you're going to go in with the attitude of like, don't compromise, then I don't know how you get anything done. So, you know, yeah. I, I'm not sure what, like, that, that, it, it, like it's, it's nice in theory to say we're not going to sell out uh, black people or women or whoever. You know, I agree with everything, all of that ideology, but I'm just saying that, like, so how does a so law get what passed? Is the, what's yeah. the, yeah. I mean, civility in politics is not really a huge part of my world, but a civility within, you know, interacting with audiences yeah. and watching, watching how people really just... Um, lost their minds lately because of Trump. Wait, I feel okay, like, so let's talk like, about that for a people second. People are like, so much ruder than they've ever been before. Like, uh, you, so, yeah. like like I said, Dustin performs all over the country. Um, you're, like, stalwart club comic who really knows every type of audience. Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion, audiences have just changed since 2016 in a way that you yeah. feel palpable from the stage? I mean, there's a little compassion. I feel people are drinking more because of what's happening. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so, you have to be a little, That's you fair. know, you yeah. open to that and be yeah. like, okay, people are slamming back more Long Island ice teas than they used to. But no, I think there's just, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, people don't think about it anymore. I don't think there's a beat before you react the way there used to be. Right. Whereas like, cause you know, before Obama, say what you want. I feel like civility wise and how he came off and how he was a gentleman and the way he treats his wife. And I don't know, just that was, was no so te- good for yeah, us. He, it, it was so good for it us. It didn't inspire any tension i no. think even people yeah. who hated him yeah. weren't like oh great he what he has a wife and two kids they're yeah. happy yeah <laughs> like, he, was an ama- <laughs> he was an amazing example yeah and this yeah. guy just does whatever so i feel there are people in the audiences that uh you know they're on their phone or they're talking it's just it's definitely gotten worse i feel like i spend half the time on stage just trying to wrangle in somebody's attention you know just trying to get them to to not be rude you know to not and, and comedy sets itself up you know we force them to drink whatever but you know, but I, it's it definitely. I feel just the idea of dropping an umbrella. Nobody gives a shit. I've chased people down the street when they litter. Like I've, you know, I've, I've literally. I have. There was a lady pushing. I've always been yeah, tempted to do that. I, I've done it. And there That's was a lady. Awesome. She was pushing her. Like she had a kid. And she put in a, And I go, this is a great example. I just held the Wendy's cup. I go, this is a great example. You're setting for your child. Oh. You're just dropping this and then just pushing your. Car. I went crazy. It's the Native American me. I just go nuts when people litter. I got a little tear in my eye. I'm like, I can't take it. That's the worst. That actually, I have a, a litter, a litter bug sensitivity ugh, as well. Ugh, stop it. It's interesting, Dustin, that you talk about how the audiences have changed. And I mean, I do think that part of the loss of civility, whether you want to call it loss of civility, but again, I, I think to me, it's not about civility; it's about compromise. And so, there's this. Um, 
I think that the, I think that both the right and left are guilty of this, the right more so and in more extreme way, but the left also, which is that increasingly both sides, or at least the extremes of both sides, see everything as sort of like a war between good and evil. Mm-hmm. And they're on the side of good and the other side is evil. And therefore, um, you know, uh, the other side must be destroyed. Yeah. Um, and and um, and stop it. And, and, and like compromising with the other side is sort of like uh, 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 admitting defeat and, and also sort of like. Um, uh, right. You, you can't and any kind of ideological impurity. It, right. it, yeah. it means ideological impurity, which is not allowed anymore. Right. And I think, yeah. well, one of the interesting things is like that the call for civility itself, and this is a quote from the article, at their most frenzied calls for civility stoke the fear that the United States might be on the precipice of armed conflict, right? And we have had armed conflict in our past. Like, we know what that that looks like, right? And so the idea, um, so I think it's sort of like easy for a a GOP person to say, like, we need to be civil, um, I almost said syllable um, because uh, because the radical leftists are going to go crazy and uh, open the borders and everyone's going to be, you know, so there's it's almost being used as a stratagem to like get, you know, to scare people that even if there is no incivility, (laughs) I mean, it's just uh, this weird, you know, uh, PR tactic. Well, you know, what's crazy is, um, you know, a lot of people in my family, immediate family, it's, they're, you know, very into Jesus, and I respect that, and that's fine, and I have a light Jesus life myself, but it's like, he was... <laughs> like that light Jesus life. <laughs> very Jesus light, Lutheran, <laughs> very Jesus light. And, uh, but it's like, you know, and the other day, my uh, one of my mom's friends or whatever, she had this meme that was all about, like, you know, how he's kind of this Christian savior, Trump, and they're... You know, they're using him to take our guns and take our Christianity and all this stuff. And it just drives me insane because it's like the idea of Jesus is a beautiful thing and it's very civil and it's very giving. And then what yeah. they've done to that and how they react within Trump is phenomenal. How it's like he's the opposite of this. And I know right. we've said this before, but it's he's the opposite of Christianity. I mean, somehow they've fooled themselves in they've thinking it, yeah. it's crazier than any president I've ever seen. Bush didn't have this much Christian backing. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But, but, yeah. but that's also, but, but, but that's all about like w- when you view the world as a war between good and evil yeah. you you are willing to uh you're willing to do almost anything you're almost you're, you're willing to kind of like sacrifice an awful lot of your principles in order to win the war yeah. and so you end up making a compromise with yourself and a compromise with yourself because you think that the the ultimate the vic- the big victory in the end is worth any one of those things so yeah while you were appalled by Bill Clinton cheating on his wife, you don't care that Trump does because he's going to get he's going to yeah. he's going to end abortion, and exactly. so and because abortion is so horrible, it doesn't matter to you that this guy cheats and on gay his wife and all that, yeah. right? And so you you know, you, but but the but that does happen on the left also, and so like like uh, again, but you can have that same tension with or without civility, right? I mean, I think it's a, it's about the idea of compromising with the other side, right? And I think for this author, the idea of compromising the other side, it his main example of that being not awesome is the Reconstruction era. So what happened in the Reconstruction era is there was this initial, there were troops on the ground in the South there to ensure the freedom um, of new, newly freed people. And uh, there was multiracial democracy, like 
it's, you know, in bloom during reconstruction. And then at a certain point, there were compromises made that like, okay, we'll vote for Rutherford B. Hayes as president, but you must remove the troops. And thus began, you know, the long march towards Jim Crow. And so there, it's like the idea was we're going to Get we're going to look the other way when it comes to um, violating people's civil rights um, so that you guys can get out of here and we'll just do what we want with black Americans here. And um, the, so that was a civil um, compromise that led to really terrible results. Um, I like again. It goes back to your question. It keeps coming back to your question, Dan. Which is like, what is what? Are, what is the alternative? Right? That was clearly terrible and wrong. Um, and I don't know what it, it. You know, is it like a keep the troops there indefinitely, or what? I, you know, I don't know. But we, I, I mean, I think ultimately had to solve it via a constitutional amendment, which was. But, but which as Sarah right. points out, even the even the amendments didn't produce the desired results. Right. Uh, you know, even the amendments that gave black people the right to vote, and you know, uh, there were still obviously, as we know, for decades, and even to di- to today, efforts to stop that from happening. So, um, you know, the other part of the problem in, in terms, of like I was talking before about, like. Getting, how do you get laws passed? Like, our system is set up, in particular in the Senate, to give, uh, you know, because every state gets two senators. You have states that have 500,000 500, people that get two senators, and those tend to be the reddest states. And so you have, a, you have a, an imbalance, and that's why you have these two presidential elections in recent years where the Democrat won the, the popular yeah. vote and lost the Electoral yeah. College. You know, I was looking it up. In, in Ob- when Obama ran for re-election, even though he won pretty solidly, you know, it was like 51 to 47 in the percentages against Romney. He won over well over 300 electoral votes. Um, he won by 5 million in the popular vote. It was a, a solid victory. He only won 26 states. Yeah. He only, uh, Romney won 24. Like it was very close. Very close and so, yeah. it, you know, and, and now it used to be that there were more states where, where they would have a divided Senate representation where you'd have like a, uh, a Democrat and a Republican from the same state, which forced them to work together. Now, almost all the states, are, both senators are either the same party, the same party. And so I, I don't know how you pass a law today <laughs> ever right, again. ever right yeah, I mean, yeah. but that's really where we're, where we're headed you know if, if all the republicans are always going to vote together and all the democrats are always going to vote together and the senate is set I up mean, as it is the, how do you right. how do you pass a law Be- so because the the geographic dispersion of white people who te- who may tend to be republican benefits the GOP overall when it comes to the Senate and 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 Congress in general. So so and and the electoral college. Um so it's true that like it feels really grim. That 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 the reality of it, it's set up this way and it could take a while. But there's still like actual demographic shifts of foot right so it, it, where like we could we could uh switch arizona right mm. Fli- arizona may be flipped georgia may be flipped um there's rumblings about texas like beto o'rourke came very close in texas <sighs> he broke my heart i know <laughs> he was the southern kennedy it was like it was so good he had beyonce and then it just, i wow. mean i know <laughs> but i think um i guess I don't know, Dustin. Do you have something less grim than what 
than what well, Dan is saying. No. Uh, I agree with everything Dan's saying and you're saying. Um, I feel I'm really kind of, I've become a centrist lately. Like I just really hate both sides. Like I, um, I feel the left is too sensitive. I feel the right is not sensitive enough. And so it be, creates this thing where it's just like, I mean, I'll always vote blue because of rights, but it's like I'm very reluctant, you know, and I feel like Elizabeth Warren and all this, you know, it's like because the Native American thing she said and whatever, I've, you know, been on the fence, but now it's like she seems like a good choice. And then I also feel like when somebody's called out like that, they sometimes do more for, you know, the good of the people because of, you know, what she said in the past. So I feel like she's going to really help natives because of, you know, the spotlight she was in on it. Yeah. But I don't know awareness to it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, you know, I, I don't even know anymore. Half the time I'm losing my mind over all of this, you know. Right. It's, but I don't know if we're going back to civility or if we're, we're really talking think, about at this point. I really don't I, mean, I would like to point out that this was not the only article you sent yeah. around this week, Nagin, that referenced the possibility of civil war. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my favorite, I appreciate that you're trying to like end on an up note here. <laughs> but maybe yeah. you shouldn't have leaned so heavy on the Civil War yeah. theme this week if you wanted a feel good show. Oh did you, did yeah. you, did you listen to the podcast that was attached to the article? Did you listen no, to that at all? No, I didn't. I listened to a little bit of it, and there was one thing that was very important. That he's like, one of the guests was saying that he hated the idea of uh, tribalism because he was saying that, um, you know, like the Democratic Party, it's it's so separated and we're not really a tribe. That's the problem. You know, like you take well, some hipster kid. We're heterogeneous. Kid. Yeah, we're, you take we're some, not, yeah. Yeah, like some hipster kid from Brooklyn, you know, might be voting the same, but he's not. As doesn't, a doesn't union stand. worker yes. in Cleveland. Yeah. And they so have it, like a zero to yeah. do with each other. And that, uh, that is the opposite of what's happening on the right. Right. Where everybody's unified, you know. I think the reality is that the demographic shifts are too strong for the Republican Party to be able to sustain this kind of numerical, weird, geographically dispersed majority in the Senate um, and and hopefully in the Electoral College. I think it's just it's not a long term sustainable goal for the for the GOP to just be like, make them afraid of immigrants and get them to vote. And, you know, it's Look, just not a real long term strategy. That is not that's not yeah. ide- that's not even ideology. There were like talk about free markets. That used to be your thing. Fucking Look, the, talk the, about the it. The optimistic reading of the current times yeah. and like, easy for me to be optimistic. I'm like a straight white guy. Um not that I'm optimistic anyway, but <laughs> the, the, the optimistic reading is that these are the last yes. violent throws yeah. of the sort of like the, the right of the Confederacy, essentially, you know, of, of, of the, the right wing, right, the right wing white Christian majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and if we can survive this period, um, you know, things will things will make a turn, you know, like I. I, I talk a lot about about spicy Doritos, bringing it to my food podcast. <laughs> this, like, like, if you look at how many spicy— How is this connected? Which, okay. Because, because if you look at how many mainstream, middle-of-the-road food products are now making spicy versions. Oh, yeah. The, True. Interesting. The spicening of the American palate— <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that, that people title that, of this podcast right, <laughs> sriracha is everywhere True. S- sushi is in supermarkets yeah. all right our palates have already be, uh, i mean uh, and, and, tr- and a trump voter likes yeah. sriracha just as much as a uh, elizabeth warren voter <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also like but, but it, it's a, a sign that like that that the immigrant groups that have come into america in recent decades um, are here and they have 
transformed the culture to the point that there are now spicy Doritos. It's changed what we eat. And um, and that's the degree to which these cultures have been assimilated. And so if we can get past these last throws, like they're in and it's going to, and, and the assimilation will continue. But we have to get, we still have to survive the next, we still have to survive, survive these final throws, which I don't know, I think is very far from certain. Uh, yeah, um, I just want to add this. I feel like the reason having me on the show is I'm here to kind of bring in the Walmart audience. <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't know, I, I don't know if you're much of a UFC fan, but, uh, uh oh but, yes, of course, yeah. you know me, Dustin. <laughs> Cage fighting. <laughs> like you used to do that back in the day. Um, but no, there was this thing that happened. It was this, uh, UFC fight. It was, uh, this guy Covington, who was a big, a uh, huge Trump supporter. And he would have the hat and everything. And then and he was fighting uh, Us- Usman, who's from uh, Africa and stuff. And it was this whole immigrant versus the Trump guy. And it was this whole thing. And, and the, the audience was chanting, USA, USA. It was a horrible thing. Anyway, the, the immigrant he, yeah, yeah. He beat the shit out of this guy and broke his jaw, this whole thing. Oh, my God. And then afterwards, he um, – it was a beautiful thing that he said. I mean, if we were a fighter talking about it, but he said, well, how did you feel about them chanting USA? And he goes, well, that was for me because I'm the true American. I'm an immigrant. Aww. I come to this country. I work my ass off. Like, it was a beautiful speech. You beautiful. never hear that from a fighter. Usually yeah. they're like, where am I? What's going on? Right. But, it was, <laughs> but, but he said this beautiful thing, and it was a great speech. And, you know. It's like the, anyway. end of the end of Rocky yeah. after he plays Drago. It was. It was is, Rocky yeah. Ford. <laughs> except, except the other guy won. Right. But, <laughs> That's, that yeah. is really that is really hopeful. Yeah. And I want to say something. My last comment about this is that part of the reason that civility is such a part of the public discourse is that everything is now public discourse, right? Like everything is a social media post reaction to whatever is happening politically. There's so much more news, even though no one's paying for their news. <laughs> All of the, the, everything's shutting yeah. down. But there's so much more of it. There's so much like more coverage of the minutia of every day. And then that gives us an opportunity to like experience outrage and be uncivil. And then, of course, the anonymity of well, the not, Internet. Not just gives us an opportunity to experience outrage, actively encourages. Encourages, uh, right. Know, if there's one that cable news and social media have learned, it's that outrage equals clicks and views. Yeah, right. So there's so there's a there's there's that aspect, I think, of media that's disgusting. Um, I sort of I'm going to say something crazy, which is that I miss a little bit the backroom deals where where politicians could get together and figure shit out on without any Internet and and hash out a plan that where both parties would be unhappy um, but that there would emerge a law, you know, and I can imagine that these kinds of things happen during the New Deal. I can imagine, you know, th- it, it, that a, a lot of great yeah. big um, hallmarks of American legislation have taken place behind closed doors. I mean, we know that they have. Yeah. And that they were successful because the minutia of every step wasn't broadcast. So we didn't even we didn't think you don't you don't have to go be performatively civil or uncivil. Right now, I feel like every step of a stupid process is being broadcast, you know, with the, and I understand that transparency is very important, but it is it is all it can also be it can also stymie this progress and then I think yeah. it contributes to yeah. this like incivility. Yeah, twenty twenty, bring back the think tank. You know what I mean? Yeah, bring <laughs> bring back the bring back the backroom deals. 
and I don't right. mean backroom deals yeah. in a gross way. Like I want to know that like Nancy Pelosi and like um you know uh Mitch McConnell was good are like in a room like having a chat. <laughs> yeah. And the reason for that is was like think about all of the people that you dislike. You're not going to end up fist fighting them in a closed room. You're going to be like, okay, we have to talk this out because they're human beings, right? And so I think there is more. I think there should be in there. there, There's some. It's like athletes who compete against each other. It's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. They, you know. There should be room for that. It's like the comedians in the green room. There you go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, All right, you guys, let me know what you think. Read this article. It's, it's, it's. It's actually, it's really well researched and um, you know beautifully written. So uh, it was, I thought it was really interesting read. Um, okay, let us move on to topic number three. <laughs> I got really, like, really upset. Yeah, we're we're uh, I d- Dustin is. I, I used to box as a kid. So. It's like this, a reflex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, like, with it, we read this piece. Um, called Finland is a capitalist paradise in the New York Times. And uh, I talked about this couple who moved from Brooklyn to Finland to Helsinki. And, you know, they were wondering, like, how their life was going to change. And uh, they had a baby. And they were like, "Um, life was, like, pretty great because we had childcare that was provided by the government at a cost of $300 a month. Um, There was – there's, like, vacation – mandatory, like, vacation of between four, five, and six weeks a a year. uh, they just they it, th- basically this writer talked about having an increase in personal freedom, um, and uh, and of course they have health insurance, yeah. And so they experience basically none of the kind of things that I think about on a daily basis, um, and yet Finland is also a capitalist paradise. So we kind of think of. Providing social services is being antithetical to capitalism, and they're making the case, and all the data actually makes the case, um, that that's not true. Did you buy this argument? Um, Well, I really hope this becomes a trend um, that Brooklynites move to uh, Finland so we can can take back Brooklyn and it won't be pretentious anymore. We can start over with this hipster thing and we can just (laughs) just not have this pretension happening. Um, Yeah, I don't – I'm always – I don't know. I I feel like – I always get scared when everything's the same. You know what I mean? I always feel like that's never a good thing. Like, I feel like that's that's how Bernie loses me sometimes. What do you mean when everything's the like, same? What does that you mean? You know, when we all have, like, the same education and we all have the same oh, type uh-huh, of uh-huh. health care and stuff. I'm not saying that's not good, but it just, I don't know. I just feel like there's been times in history where everybody wanted everybody to be the same and it didn't quite work out. You know, kind of well, I mean, we extreme. have, it's not like it's, <laughs> so, we all yeah. have social security, I mean, we have the same. Well, we all are. I mean, you I know. get paid on the table. There's a lot shady handshakes um, and stuff. But I mean, <laughs> but like the, you know, the average American yeah. okay. will not have comedian, social. Yeah. yeah, not comedian. <laughs> yeah. We'll have social security, or like when, when we all get to a certain age, we'll all yeah. have access to Medicare. Kinda. Yeah. I, I mean, that's if you did it right. You know, there's some things that we that we already there is already a precedent for some of these things. Um, the argument, I mean, I, I think the argument is the reason why Finland is a capitalist paradise is because the shit that companies have to do to make their employees like be alive um, is outsourced to the government. 
so they don't have to fucking worry about it. Yeah. Which is like, duh. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, I don't know. What did you think of this argument? Yeah, well, and, and, and I mean, I, you know, I think we should have universal health care and we should have better parental leave. And like a lot of the, like, like, you know, would I want America to go quite as far in every single detail as what Finland has? Maybe not. But like the big stuff, yes. 100% yes. That being said, like, um, but what was your, what was your initial question? Just like it was just like, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So I didn't I think say anything. Really excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so, so, um, you know, but but that and, and and like the idea that like oh, when you treat people well, they're better workers, which is sort of the rash. The, the Finland thing is basically sort of saying like, look, the, uh, after the the Great Depression, the the big companies in Finland said, you know what, we're going to get behind the idea of higher taxes and more support for the people. Yeah. Because they'll be happier, they'll be better cared for, they'll be better educated, and they'll make better workers for us, and then we'll make more money. That was the rationale. And the article makes the argument that that worked. That being said, there's a couple problems with it. First, it's Finland. Okay, like it's like it's Finland. Uh, more people live in Tennessee, right, than in Finland. Okay, so okay. it's a much smaller population, and it, which is easier to provide services for that yes, kind and, of population. And it is and 90, design services for them, right? And it is ninety four percent ethnically Finnish. Right. Yeah. Does not have a heterogeneous population. Okay, so it is much easier to convince people to share when they're sharing with members of their own tribe. Right. Okay. All right. Um, Got that. On top of that, like you know. Yes, seems like business is going great in Finland, but like the mentality of the big corporation. It's not even going great. It's actually doing far better than a country its size, right? Yeah. It's like it's doing what it's doing better than Tennessee, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I'm okay with America, you know, having problems sometimes. This is the funny part about me where I feel like I feel like stand up comedy, for example, mm-hmm. doesn't exist if we live in a place. I've done comedy in Sweden and it's terrible. You know, places like that because <laughs> they have no problems. There's no anxiety. There's no <laughs> there's no bullshit that you could just tap into that they get because they're all happy. And it's like they don't laugh, they just clap. That's you know, hilarious. Yeah. So I need a little misery to, if, to be an artist. For our, right. I, and I, you I know do. what? Stand up comedy does not flourish. It does it not flourish in Nordic countries. <laughs> Guys, I feel like Dustin figured figured out what's wrong with this argument. <laughs> and it's too freaking cold. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Like at the end, they were like, oh, it's, it's, the, the winters yeah. are okay. I'm like, yeah, are they okay. just okay? Right. But I, I want to say something, though, about like what we want out of businesses, right? Like we are like, no, 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 America is the place where you innovate. It's fucking great. You open, you have businesses here and we're the ones. We create all the fucking businesses. I mean, it is. It is. And it is. <laughs> however, okay, however, I, okay, so one of my really good friends runs, um, uh, like a salon uh, empire. She's got multiple locations all around Ooh. the country. Um, I, I I think it's yeah. fair. I could I I say the name Fox this. and Jane yeah. Salon. Right. They're fucking fantastic. I go to the one and uh, there and there there's multiple locations um, in many different cities. Um, she, when I met her, she had none of those things, right? She was just like a woman operating out of like a on a, a chair in the East Village. And now she's like, a mogul. Um, and so I've seen every step of the way. And I remember the moment where she was like, oh, we just like hit the threshold where now I have to like figure out health care. Um, because, at a, you know, you have to figure out health care when your company hits a certain size. Like or a certain whatever. number of employees right. you have to provide health care. And what she's good at is building a business and, and a clientele and figuring out what the clientele wants and the kind of place they want to be at and blah, blah, blah. And the beauty standards and exactly what to do with, be- you know, beauty. That's what she's 
excellent at, right? And that's how she's built an empire. But she also now has to be a fucking expert on how to provide health insurance. What kind of health insurance? What levels of coverage? What are the deductibles? And I remember when she was telling me this, I just thought to myself, like, how the fuck do you do that? How do you figure it out? It sounds miserable. And it also sounds like it's not your fucking job. It's not what you you're supposed to be an entrepreneur, not a fucking health insurance provider. That's how HMOs were invented. You know, they just come in and just do this for companies right you know. and in and, and and now and then there's so many of those and so then yeah. you have all of these options and then what do you i mean it's like it is such a headache and i you know and, and it's I, bad for business because now because now she's taking her time to figure that out instead, instead of doing the thing that she's good doing at the right. thing she's good at no like in health insurance i agree 100 like our health insurance right. system is totally fucked and like and, uh, and, and is a massive drain on businesses especially small and, mo- and mid-sized yeah. businesses um i mean look you want to know how crazy our healthcare system is? Not that we couldn't all come up with stories. I'm wearing this boot on my leg. I broke my foot. I had to get something called a bone stimulator. Mm. They put it through the health insurance. Okay. The guy, the, the bone, bone stimulator st- is just unnecessary li- sexual for a medical procedure. I know. Continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen two and three. <laughs> but I, um, the, they told me that if the, my, if my health insurance agreed to cover it, that the bone stimulator would cost me $2,500. But if they reject the claim, then it would be free. What? I don't understand. I asked the man to explain it to me three times. Why is that? (laughs) I said, so who's paying for it then? If If it's free. If it's free. And he, I don't understand. And I went to college and everything. Yeah. (laughs) And I have no idea what he's talking about, but I got a free bone stimulator. Thank God. (laughs) I mean, every time I get a menacing piece of medical mail, like, I am just like, what is this? What is the thing? What is the, you know, the quagmire I'm stepping into? And sometimes... It'll be like $4.75 that I owe somebody. And I don't know why, and I have a feeling it's wrong, but I'll pay it because I can't even consider arguing it and figuring out why this wasn't covered or yeah. whatever, you know? Um, so, yeah. So the the health insurance things are ridiculous. But I'll give you another example. So my best friend, who I've mentioned before, she has two restaurants in, in California, um, in Los Angeles. One's called, called Parsnip and the other one's called Lemon Poppy Kitchen. And I remember there was a point where she was like promoting someone or like – to like a full-time situation, blah, blah, blah. And she really like appreciated the work of this man and wanted to make sure that he felt good about working there. And she was like, oh, you know, we're, we're promoting you. We're giving you this and that. And um, we're, you can take a, we'll pay for you to take a class of like some kind of professional development, like business administration type class or whatever, so that you can kind of continue working on whatever it is you want to learn um, to, to, to feel like there, there's no ceiling here that you could grow. Um, that's because my friend is like a really good person, yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. we're like asking businesses to come up with these ideas. And it's like her, not should not be her job for this yeah. guy to have access to ongoing education. You yeah, know? I also want to say that you have very successful friends. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, good luck. I need to hang out with you more because right. I feel like they're just doing all these amazing things after they talk to you. Right. No, it's true. Um, but like, uh, but I was just like, we, we're now living in a, a society where 
this guy lucked out because he works for a nice person <laughs> who cares and wants them to feel good about their job. And so she came up with random additional benefits to make him feel that way, as opposed to a, a government that's like, oh, yeah, you know, if you want to get your associate's degree or whatever it is, it's free and this is how you can do it. Um that's crazy. That is the antithesis of innovation because, again, she has to spend – what she's good at is restaurants, mm. right? right yeah. So instead of restaurants, she has to come up with really ridiculous HR plans. The entire HR business is something that shouldn't be – up that business really well, you even, know even the idea of being better to your employees you know the minimum wage raising that is all i think we might have talked about this last time but i feel like companies find a way around that like now i'm noticing more kiosk now it's more like we scan right. our own stuff because that's what ends yeah. up happening yeah. they, they're gonna have less employees Machines take yeah over. and they're just gonna put machine machine after machine and so it's like you know these they find a way to not take care of people and i think if the government was taking care of people if we could accept a progressive tax hike in which the government was taking care of people, maybe, and I don't know, companies would be less would wouldn't resort to kiosks yeah. and wouldn't resi- as quickly as they now do, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. And and I think part of the thing that the article is pointing out is maybe just a fundamental difference in the way the Finnish view like the rich people, there are billionaires in Finland. Who are like, yeah, we get taxed. We do get taxed more than the Americans. Yes. Do, um, do you think? But uh, that there's a national, like, a, the, you know, something, a national ideology that that's okay. Right. I, like, and I, I do think part of that is just like when you, a small country where everyone's from the same background makes it easier for that to happen. That's part of it. But I also wonder, I don't know what your thoughts are. Like, I, you know, if, if you were going to run a a big business, like one of the Finnish billionaires might, but like in, in America, those big businesses are mostly run with the attitude of like, we are trying to make as much money as we possibly can. And if we make a billion this year, we want to make 1.2 billion next year. Right, growth economy. Right, it must keep growing. And in order to do that, you must keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing right. to get every drop out. And that's where you end up with, you know, so many workers being treated so poorly. And also, so, you know, that's why it behooves these companies to spend so much money on lobbying to get the policies that cut their taxes yeah. and reduce their requirements to their employees. So you ha- that's the sort of American corporate mentality of like more and more more squeeze every drop and i wonder how much of that is like you know obviously not everyone in america is descended from uh, an immigrant or a voluntary immigrant but a lot of people in america are yeah and so like that's sort of a certain kind of like a self-selecting sample of people like these are the people who left their country who took this tremendous risk who left their families and uh and came to america to and bring s- sriracha to doritos <laughs> right right but like you know like 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 <laughs> like, like is that like i wonder if that's part of the explanation for why why business is done with a different with with this with a more frankly a more aggressive uh uh mentality because because as opposed to people who are like i'm just going to stay here in finland and hang out and like this is going to be good enough the people who are like I, yeah. I i i want more i need more i'm going to america yeah i mean i think well it's interesting cuz the, the it, uh, there's like 
a, a moment in the Finnish history of just like that post-World War II moment where they were like, businesses got together and were like, we actually need skilled workers and we need them to just be stable. So mm-hmm. you guys do that and then we'll give them jobs. And it was a, it was just like an agreement that they worked out and then that's, and that's how they developed all these programs. And then those are the programs that we now see today yeah. with these Brooklyn couples moving to Finland, having a great time. Um And I think that, um, oh my God, what was my point? My point was, what did you just say? <laughs> just the, the idea that like like the, the immigrant mentality in America sort of informs the approach to business so, here that right. is so cutthroat. So that like we're for so that so so the so the foundational moment in America as a, so let's we'll call that a foundational moment for Finnish uh, modern capitalism, and the foundational moment for American. Capitalism was more about frontiersmanship or whatever, maybe, and that like let's go and discover and then build and make and and, con- uh, and conquer, man and conquer and manifest destiny. Yeah, so there is definitely more of a like, um, fucking kill whoever you gotta kill and then get that gold and then everyone you know <laughs> get the land and like so there is a different kind of like foundational moment. I think that you're right leads to the the difference in these. Uh, yeah, I also feel there's a luck of the draw that we have to accept as well, where I feel like there's, you know, when we're always pushing, like, everybody needs to be educated and things like that. And I wonder about that sometimes, because I wonder, like, like if everyone has, I mean, you guys obviously have nice educations. I went to art school, so it almost counts. But it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> but it, you know what I mean? Like, is, do you really want to be, you know, who's going to pick up the trash? Who's going to do the things? And yeah. I hate to sound like that, but it's, you know, if, if someone has a bachelor's, are they really going to want to, or a master's, or sure. you know, are they going to want to do these things that need to happen in society and then we're also trying to build up the immigrants so we don't want to push them in jobs that you know we don't want to do because then that's what that's what we're trying to change in general mm-hmm. so we're trying to build them up and then at the same time i just i don't know i think but I mean, it's, but, you know because i feel like the struggle is what makes i think am i maybe yeah. I'm speaking out of turn here but it's like with your parents i'm sure the reason your parents were successful is because of probably all the adversity they had to deal with like they knew they had to be more educated to exist in this society. Right. I mean, they, they worked harder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, than I, their counterparts. I, I, I mean, you know, um, I don't know where I'm going with that. I just. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it, I, I don't want to believe, I don't want to believe. I mean, you can have an educated, you know, trash man. But right. <laughs> just... well, and, and, and like, if you go to like Cuba, I mean, yeah. which I know is a very poor country. <laughs> but like they, it, it, because their educational system is actually very good. Okay. So like, I remember like one of our cab drivers in Cuba was a nuclear physicist. And wow. I was like, this That's is hilarious. So yeah. Um, and sad. Uh, right. <laughs> Obviously they haven't figured it out, but, um, but there is, um, right. Because everyone can't be. A nuclear physicist. Yeah, zone of some, jobs. There has yeah. to some be some people just have to yeah. be taxi drivers, you know. Yeah. And we, I get that. I never see that on MonsterJobs.com. You know um, I mean? like that's <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I think well, but and but the interesting thing is, like, we've had all of these farming, you know, or when there was the crackdown um, of ICE. Part of the problem was farms were like, we actually need undocumented workers, you know, and and if if there's a crackdown, I we don't know what's going to happen with right. the like literal picking of the vegetables. But I, I mean, I, I think the reason, the argument for some version of the of Finland's approach is like, you know, you, you need to set a baseline. You need to set a baseline of quality of life where, you know, 
er, certainly in the richest country in the world, everyone should have clothes on their back and a roof over their head and food on the table and health care and decent education, like just the yeah. basics. Health, and then, yeah. right, right, and, and all those, like, everyone should have those things. And and beyond that, like, sure, let the chips fall where they may, and, and not everyone's going to end up with the, exactly the same because people will have different life journeys and diff- be born with different abilities and different advantages. But everyone should I ha- even think a Trump voter... Um, what and it, this isn't even like an ideal, an, an actual ideological conservative, you know, would look could look at the numbers and say if we provided a baseline, there would be more growth in the economy, you yeah, know, but in, like, in in manufacturing or whatever. Yeah. Like the the num, it's the, I think the problem right now is we have no baseline. <laughs> you know, right? There's right. disparate educational opportunities from K through twelve. Uh, before K, be, from zero to K, babies are supposed to just be self cleaning ovens. We don't know what happens to them. <laughs> um, and and you know, and so now, so I feel like th- we're creating a very anxiety riddled. Um, population that's not going to necessarily be good at work. We have a talent brain drain from other countries, not because there's not enough people here, but because we're not even giving them a baseline so that they can be like, oh, do you need more math majors? I can do that, except for like, I had to go work when I graduated from high school to help my mom pay the bills, you know? Yeah. This is like the problem. But how boring does Finland sound? I mean, who's the Jay Z? <laughs> who's the Jay Z of Finland? Like, there's, you know, what's coming out of Finland? You know what I mean? You there's... know, I don't want to. I don't want to live there. Either. I love the angst. I, mean, I don't want to live and there. The horror either. of America makes I'm us sure interesting. Lovely. It makes well, us interesting. One of my successful friends is Finnish, by the way, and she loves it. They have a your whole ninth thing. successful friend. <laughs> my right. ninth yeah. successful yeah. friend. We get it, Nagin. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> she talks. She talks very lovingly about the summer time is salt, like open bath hot hot summer springs right. or whatever they have all over the country anyways it sounds wonderful all yeah, right did she tell you about the 206 rainy days a year they have she has not mentioned those. yeah of course um yeah no that sounds miserable okay you guys let me know what you think people of fake the nation <laughs> are you moving to finland what's going on um do you think it's impossible for a heterogeneous society like america to have anything that looks like Finland. Oh, can I add one more statistic? Please. I looked up in preparation for this segment. Oh. Finland recently raised its refugee quota from 750 to 850. So they agreed to take in 850 refugees. This is a country with five and a half million people, all who apparently are doing great. <laughs> you know, like, again, that makes it very easy. When you're only going to take in 850 people, like, they're so not true. dealing with a lot of the forces that Western Europe and uh, the U.S. are dealing with in terms of people coming, uh, of, of, of the pressure to do something about people showing up at the doorstep um, and and coming in. And so, like, it's very easy to fix. They just don't have as many problems to begin with. Like, uh, not to say that their ideas are wrong, just like, you know, you can't just snap your fingers. doesn't necessarily translate. Right. Um, I I would say go ahead and take more refugees, Finland, if you're doing so fucking great. Yeah, seriously, yeah. come on. Good luck uh, with that. You'll be America in two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay, this is what I want to close the show. Okay, we're going to close the show on closing statements. Normally, I ask how you how you feel after the end of a show. But today, I want to just ask you guys, because this is like the last show before we do some like fun um, evergreen stuff over the holidays. Um, do you have like 
hopeful words because we sort of ended on a heterogeneous society could never have the kind of benefits and happiness levels that Finland does, which feels dark. And I disagree. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Like we're in the midst of a really like shitty political um, season. Uh, You could have closed any one of your episodes of the past (laughs) two years with this speech, but go on again. (laughs) No, we're just in a a shitty political season. And I just wondered if you guys have something positive to say to help people as they go into like a happy time of year. Uh, I guess I'll go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think as a society, we have to help from within. I think that's the biggest problem we have is we don't take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, we need to mentor more. We need to take care of, you know, like I feel a society is like if you see a kid spray painting on the side of a wall, maybe, you know, gear that kid towards art or art school or something like that. That's that's how we need to start seeing people. And just uh, if you're successful, then lend a hand, you know, help people, you know, pull people up instead of taking them down. Right. Just, you know, that's that's what I feel. Dan? (laughs) I would say keep buying spicy Doritos. (laughs) <laughs> I try to be all serious. I didn't know we were punching it. No, it. no, no I'm, 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 I'm actually really ser- no. I mean, I, I, it's a joke, but it, it, it is ser- like, like you know, uh, the sooner the, the 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 spicier that our food becomes, <laughs> the closer that the white supremacists are to defeat. Ooh, yeah, because there's from, a, it's a cultural influence, and it's changing it, from. Yeah, I don't know about that. I come from the south. They love hot sauce. The racists love hot sauce. They, <laughs> but do the racists love hot sauce when it's called sriracha and it's like from one of them brown people that like created well, see, that's that? My, one? That's my joke. Where I'm just like, if you're, you know, if you really hate Mexicans, then no more guacamole. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. That should be the real thing, but that doesn't happen. I, I, and to be clear, I'm not saying that that it's going to change the minds no. of the racists. But you were, were talking about demographic shifts. Yeah. You know, like a lot of these changes can't can't be undone, these these shifts. And so, you know, but, but um, but the, in the short term, it, it well, you wanted to, I almost was going to get <laughs> spicy Doritos <laughs> again. Yeah. <laughs> spicy Doritos. Yay! <laughs> um, I guess I, well, uh, what I want to say, because I feel like I've noticed a feeling around my friends and around listeners that like this, um, the, this election, the American elections for in recent decades have been designed to make us fucking go crazy, right? So if you feel bogged down by this primary season, that's because it's designed to make you feel that way. And then it's designed to make you second guess the things there. If you were like Warren, 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 and then suddenly you're like, I don't know, I guess Pete Buttigieg. What? Why? The reason you're second guessing yourself is because this is such a protracted, long, ridiculous process that favors two states of the union over and above all of the other ones. And so now we're getting constant media coverage over some guy in a diner in Iowa and some guy in a pub in New Hampshire. They don't matter. Like, put, try not to let the media attention on those things second guess what you believe, like, just continue to support who you believe in and don't let the length and ridiculousness of this process that is horribly designed that should not be favoring New Hampshire and Iowa in any way. All 50 states should just be voting on the same day Um, so we all can decide who the nominee will be. My point is just like 
Keep your eye on what you believe in and don't let media narratives force you to second guess yourself. And don't let media narratives make you tired. Um, This this is a really important moment and we should like keep the fight going. You can take a break for Christmas though. That's great. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. That was good. (laughs) Really good. Just because Trump gives somebody a nickname doesn't mean that they're a terrible candidate. That's it. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Don't let stop getting caught up in that. Just you (laughs) fucking love who you love. Well, and also, I mean, the media has a vested interest in changing who the front runner is. Yeah, they'll just constantly. It's boring if the same person is ahead all the time. That's not a good story. People won't keep clicking. They won't keep watching. Exactly. So so don't fall prey to those ridiculous think pieces. They're not real like they're not real and also remember how shit bag the polls were in 2016 um i guess some of them were in a totally shit bag anyways whatever point is <laughs> none of this is real you choose and follow and support who you believe in and just like be excited about the democratic process that's what i think for christmas yeah. um you guys what i really would like to do is thank the production team here at fake the nation Oh, wait, I forgot to... No, no, no. But quickly, tell the people where they can find you uh, if they want to follow you and your good works. Uh, well, the Sporkful podcast, like a spoon and a fork. Get it wherever you get this podcast. And um, check out all the episodes, and especially the one you mentioned, Nagin. Um, it's called When White People Say Plantation, and it's about the history of the word plantation and food branding. Um, sort of like it's not a culinary term. It doesn't reference specific ingredients or specific cooking styles. So what are white people saying? Yeah or trying to communicate when they use the word plantation to describe plantation tea or plantation chicken or whatever. Um, and that episode becomes kind of a, at times intense, at times thoughtful exploration of whiteness in America. Nice. Yeah, there's still, there's a plantation in Florida. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, they got whole cities. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, well, and there was also something that people were having plantation weddings. That was a whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, people yeah. Just, Well, well, well yeah. The, uh, the Knot and Pinterest just announced like a week or two ago yeah. that they are going to stop promoting plantation weddings oh, wow. um, on their websites. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy that that was so fucking yeah. recent. That happened just a few weeks after our episode. Not that I can, I'm, I'm going I'm to claim go. credit. Claim even, credit. Even like though I, I have like no, no rightful reason to do so. Stirring it up. <laughs> Dustin, where do people find you? Uh, go to, I have a brand new website. Go to DustinChafin.com. That's one F. Uh, DustinChafin.com and then you can get all my social media stuff there and I'm on tour um, with Nate Bergazzi and TJ Miller so we check us out and I'm in a lot of venues and stuff all over the country and uh, yeah thanks for having me this is so much fun thanks guys <laughs> um, alright you guys know where to find me and everything I do um, please allow me to thank the production team here at Fake the Nation that's our producer Anita Flores our talented audio engineer Andy Christens Gabby Alter wrote our theme music and Lily Fleshler helps with research and dear listeners we love to hear from you. Send us your feedback, topics you want to chat about, guest ideas. You can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981 or drop us a line at commentsoffakethenation.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. That's a real thing. Oh, my God, you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll have more stuff in your earballs next week. Uh, so um, enjoy the holidays. <laughs> 